0: And the problem with depression, I think, is that is that it tricks you into believing that it will never go away. And this is why I think it's often a fatal disease. It's not that people can't stand the pain. We can withstand all kinds of pain. We all have pain in our lives. It's that you think the pain will never end. And that's what makes it feel like, well, why would I stay, you know?
1: hello and thank you for joining our podcast hope to recharge a show that is designed to bring hope inspiration motivation and some practical tips to those that are battling depression and anxiety and to those that are supporting loved ones that are going through the journey in this difficult time of depression and anxiety i'm here to tell you you are not alone and we will live beyond depression and anxiety. We will share our stories one story at a time. In a world of mental health, together is better. I'm your host, Matana, thank you for tuning in. Hello, hello, and thank you everybody for joining me here. Um, I think this might be the first real interview for me, and this is exciting. I'm going to introduce you to you somebody very special to me because she was my first business coach Samantha Bennett she's really a milestone in my in my life of coming back to business after mental illness and I'm going to tell the story about how I met her and all that afterwards, but I want to just introduce her, Samantha Bennett. She is the founder of the Organized Artist Company. She wrote a few books. The latest ones are Start Right Where You Are and Get It Done. The Get It Done book was my first book that got me my butt on the chair to actually get crap done. <laughs> it, really, really, really. So hello, Samantha. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And one thing I'm going to tell you about Samantha, she giggles a lot (laughs) and it's very therapeutic. And I think one of the things that I connected to right away on my first conversation with her, I think it was five, six years ago, was her giggling. I felt so comfortable with it. (laughs) (laughs) it. It just made me feel like she's a real person, down to earth, as accomplished as she is, she's still human and I can really relate to her. So... So thank you for joining me here. Tell me a little bit about how you started your company, your your books, you're now developing a show. You have a lot going on.
0: We have a lot going on. And I've always had a lot going on. I've always been kind of a busy person. I was one of those kids who went to theater camp and I did all the school shows. And then I went to college for theater. And then I got a job at the Second City Legendary Comedy Theater in Chicago. And I did a lot of... Regular theater, a lot of comedy theater, a lot of improv. And then I moved out to LA and did more of that and some television. And, you know, I had one of those acting careers that went well enough that you didn't want to give up on it. I you mean, know, I always had an agent, I always would get jobs, but not enough to actually support a person. So that meant that I was always having a ton of different gigs and auditions and shows and part time shows and projects and part time gigs and half time gigs and. <laughs> No time gigs and under the table gigs, and you know, I was super, super busy all the time, and it was uh, creatively very satisfying, financially disastrous. And along the way, I just got really interested in this question of like, how do creative people solve this, make decisions? How do creative it's a real people... problem? Yeah, because you know, when you can do anything, how do you know what to do? You know, should I, I've got a podcast to promote. Should I do YouTube videos? Should I buy Google ads? Should I stand on the street corner with a sandwich board? Like. What do I do? So I started teaching a class called Get It Done in like a church basement in Van Nuys for 11 people. And it just started to grow from there. And how many years ago was this? 10. We're actually Whoa. the 10th anniversary of the Organized artist Company. And that's how it started? And that's how it started. And I actually started teaching the class in like 2001 or so, but it was just one of a lot of things I would do like once a year kind of for fun. But in 2009, I started doing it full time. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with business. I fell in love with entrepreneurship. I fell in love with helping creative people. It's been really, really successful, which is really exciting. Did you it's always have that positive energy? Um, I think so. I think so. And it's funny because I've always had I've always suffered from depression. I was I w I had childhood depression. Um, but you know, in the seventies, there was no such thing as childhood depression. Nobody knew think I was, you know, people would say I was sensitive. People would say I was an old soul. People would say I was sad, you know, in the fourth grade, I cried almost every day in school. <gasps> Judy Lurie kept track. <laughs> wow. Wow. But nobody, you know, and and we look back now from the point of view of now and think like, well, where were the adults? Like what's going on with this kid? But in, you know, 19, 19- 75 or whatever it was, you know, everybody just thought, well, she's weird. It's okay. And I read a lot and I, you know, had a big imagination and theater was really a great savior to me. Those theater teachers saved my life. And I just, I didn't know, I didn't, I mean, I knew that I was different, but I didn't know that I was depressed. I was well into adulthood before it was finally reading Andrew Solomon's book, The Noonday Demon, that kind of tipped it over for me. Like I was reading that book where I was like, wait a minute <laughs> wow. i'm not crazy i'm insane <laughs> you know? oh my gosh it was such a relief i actually had the opportunity to meet him just recently he was speaking up uh, just last week at uc santa barbara Really? i went to go hear him speak and i was second in line to have him wow. sign my book and i got so i got to tell him how much his work had meant to me and i cried then i'm crying now right so amazing he's so amazing so yeah that it was a relief Oh, such a relief, especially because it turns out I have what is known as atypical depression, which is, I don't know why they call it that, because it's very typical. But what it means is it's not the like, can't get out of bed, crying on the couch kind. I can get out of bed and I can go out and do things. And when I'm around other people, I can sort of seem okay. It's just inside. Everything feels like gray and locked away. And in some ways it's own. Om- I mean, I'm going to say worse, but it's a tricky thing because when you are can't get out of bed, crying on the couch, people notice, you know, people say, my goodness, what's wrong with you? You know, get some help when you are out in the world functioning. And when you've developed sort of a personality of a cheerful, optimistic, can do busy person, nobody ever, nobody thinks you need help, which just leads to the sense of isolation and loneliness even more. So yeah, I was so relieved. I was so relieved to find out that this was actually a thing and that it was treatable. And I was always had always been one of those people who was like, I don't want to take pills. I don't want to take medication. I'm not that kind of person. I've been on Wellbutrin 300XL for, I don't know, I don't know how many years now, 15 <laughs> years. And I would punch anybody who got in between me and that pill every morning. <laughs> so funny. Those are the words I remember
1: when I first met you, you said, no don't come between me and my ributrine. And I'm like, oh my God, she has depression or anxiety because I I was taking the same pill. And that's mm-hmm. how I know. I'm like, oh my God. And she's actually functioning and she's normal, but she has what I'm suffering with. And she has the same attitude about the medication. This is so refreshing.
0: Well, it's one of the reasons why I'm so happy to talk about it. Because like I said, I didn't recognize myself in a lot of the literature around depression. And so I, I want to destigmatize it for people. I mean, you know, if I had diabetes or if I had some other disease, I would talk about that. I wouldn't be ashamed of that. I wanna, I want to have it acknowledged as just a thing that happens. And especially, I think, for creative people and for artists. I mean, when you're sensitive, it's no surprise that you're going to be... Overly sensitive, and when you're thoughtful, it's no surprise that you're going to be overly thoughtful. You know, you're going to get overwrought over things. You're going to have anxiety and overthink things. And for years, I managed it with busyness. It's one of the things that kept me so productive. Is busy is a fantastic narcotic. Really, I was like, sure. I was like, you know, if I'm busy enough, then the only feeling I have is tired.
1: Right. And you, and you're like distracted by the high of whatever you're working on. That's exactly right. But you never had the moments that you're like, I'm not getting out of bed today. I'm too tired. I'm quitting this pain, this, this heavy, dark cloud. I'm sick of it. I'm done fighting it. You never had that?
0: I definitely have the heavy, dark cloud feeling. Um, I've definitely had the, it's not so much that I'm done fighting it. Like just like there is no fight, you know, like I've just lost But I almost, oh, I think, I don't know where I figured this out. One of my strategies for dealing with depression was that I treat every appointment and every commitment like it is engraved in stone. Like there is no way I can miss, like I can't let myself off the hook like that. So I make myself go and I've been, I've sobbed in my car in front of social engagements and then gather myself up and make myself go in. Yeah. How did you learn that? I'm not sure. I think I, I mean, I think some of it's my family. I mean, certainly- My family is very, we take our commitments very seriously. (laughs) Um, But I think some of it knew, I knew it was a little bit of self-preservation. I knew that if I started to let myself off the hook for things, there would be no end to it. I would just quit everything.
1: Oh, wow. Because that's one of the things that people find that it's an easy way out to quit to say I can't anymore. And I think that's a huge strength. I wish I had that because for two years, I was, the, I, I was feeling sorry for myself. Oh, I can't. Oh, I didn't sleep all night. I had anxiety. I can't breathe. So I gave myself, myself permission to not be, which I think yeah. was the biggest obstacle in my healing because I was, I was giving myself permission to quit. But no one taught me when you fight, when you get up, when you're productive, it's actually so healing. Actually, I shouldn't say no one taught me. I went to therapists, healers, and it, it was a slow process.
0: And you know, you do, everyone is always doing the best they can with the information they have at the time. I mean, and sometimes your best is super shitty. Right. <laughs> you know? like, right. Sometimes your best is not very good, right. but we do the best we can. I will also say that a, I think a lifetime in the theater really helps because first of all, again, in the theater, if the show's opening on Saturday, the show's opening on Saturday. Mm. Rehearsals at five rehearsals at five and there's no, I don't feel well, you know, like literally the show must go on. Right. Um, and you learn to show up and pretend. So you're an actress in life and in so, and your personal life also. If you're a real actress. That's right. And I remember being at an event one time and, you know, sometimes I would try to confide to people. I remember talking to a friend of mine one time and saying, you know, that I was really having a tough time in my life and I was really struggling and, and struggling financially and struggling with anxiety and struggling with depression. And, and my friend in the most well-meaning way possible sort of patted my hand and she was like, oh, Sam, I know you're going to be fine. I never worry about you. Oh God, those are the worst words, right? And I was like, really? Could you? Could someone? Because I'm a little worried about me.
1: Right. Those are the worst words. It was really lonely. It was pretty bad. So at what point did you find a community that could support you? Were your parents supportive? Did they believe you? Did they take you to therapy? When did you start this journey of saying, oh, either I'm going to take care of myself, my partner, my parents, my sisters. How did that evolve?
0: We went to therapy pretty early and often, you know. I'm I grew up I have more ex-step parents than most people have toes. My parents were getting married and divorced like crazy my entire growing up. So, we were and we were in and out of therapy, family therapy a couple of times during that process. What's amazing to me though is that so I went to therapy when I was a kid, I went some when I was in high school, I went as a as an adult. And I remember saying things like, I feel like I'm trapped in a glass box. Feel like no matter how well I do, I never feel any better. Mm. I feel like just this despair and like nothing's ever, you know, like literally just classic, what I now know are just classic symptoms of depression. And no one ever said, maybe you're depressed. And I think, like I said, I think when I was a kid, it didn't, it wasn't really a thing. I think as an adult, I just had some shitty therapists. <laughs>
1: Right. But uh, or maybe they thought it had to do
0: with a family situation so they didn't even think of addressing depression. I that's for that's entirely possible. So when it got really bad, I don't know, early 40s, late 30s early 40s, I finally what really two things helped me, um the work of Byron Katie really helped me, mm, loving what is, loving what is, analyzing my thoughts, maybe this isn't true. And finally I I I talked to my my then husband who also as it turns out suffers from depression and anxiety so he really got it and my sister and I said look I'm you know I'm going to go I'm, I'm going to go to therapy I'm going to take this medication I don't want to, to do either of those things but I'm going to and and I said and I'm kind of giving you guys the car keys I said if cuz I know I understand that my brain I'm trying to diagnose my own broken brain with my broken brain I understand that my system is flawed here so if you guys feel like I need to check myself in somewhere or like my meds aren't working or like something serious is happening, you can hit the red button and say, Sam, we're, we're doing this for you and I will do my best to not fight or argue with you. And um. you trusted them? I did.
1: Wow. I did. That's, that's huge.
0: It was huge. It was huge for all of us.
1: <laughs> it was huge. It's a, for it's a very big um, commitment to basically give yourself over to somebody else and they're making the decisions for you and the decisions could be hard
0: because decisions could be hard and i but i could feel you know you can you know you can start to feel that spiral you just know that your own judgment is impaired you just know like i can't what i'm thinking is not accurate my assessment of what's happening is not really what's happening i need someone else to be in charge and they were great they never you know i as it turned out they never did have to you know take me to a hospital or anything although even now today my recently i was talking to my sister cuz it's still you know i still have days and and I forget what I said to her. And she said, "Um, Sam, this is where you've asked me to remind you that you will feel better if you go for a walk.
1: Oh, wow. So you have little reminders when, oh, that's awesome.
0: She's like, that's the thing you say when you're depressed.
1: And does it really help? Yeah. And that's why you live near the beach.
0: That's why I live near the beach.
1: Right. Is that why you chose the beach? Because it really helps you Absolutely,
0: it's one Adam, of the reasons for sure. Having the window, you know, I have the windows open all the time. Just being able to breathe the air and live in nature and see the mountains and the birds and hear the ocean and go for a walk every day—it makes a huge, huge difference.
1: At what point did you start medication?
0: Um, like I guess I think it was about fifteen years ago. So I was, yeah, I was in my late thirties, early forties, and it's funny that we're having this conversation now because I just, after much hand wringing and agonizing, Emailed my doctor and said, "You know, I realize that I've been on this medication for some time, and I'm really reluctant to change anything because it's basically working, and I don't, I can't go back. I can't no rocking
1: the boat. No, I don't rock- want
0: to rock the boat. Yes. I can't have another major depressive episode. I just can't face it. Right. Um, but I also, there have also been some advancements in psychopharmacology in the last right. 15 years, and you know, maybe there's something that that could be even more effective." Uh, without some of the side effects. So uh, she said she would look in, you know, she said she would consult her. Wow. So all these years on the same meds? Yep. Wow. There was one time a couple of years in where I thought, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Maybe I could step off this. And I talked to my doctor. I didn't do it alone. I right, talked to my doctor right, and we right. made a little schedule of stepping me down. And I s- did the very beginning process of starting to step down. And immediately I was shocked at how quickly oh. I fell off the ledge. And so I was like, okay, no, never mind. Right. <laughs> never mind. Right, right. That <laughs> idea. Exactly.
1: What I talk about a lot with people is that sometimes we have to get onto the medication to remember that we're human because yeah. we we lose sense of our humanity. That we we forget that we can be happy again. We forget that we can smile, we can function like everybody else. Yes, medication has side effects that suck. Really are hard sometimes, but it's I say we have this battle. Do we take the side effects or do we take the not functioning properly and just being in this dark? And you were functioning, but a lot of people don't even function or they have suicidal thoughts that medication is like like heaven. Oh my God, just give me that. I remember when, um, when I said to Ari, I said, Ari, get me on anything because I was against meds. I'm like, no, never. That's for crazy people. The side effects, and uh, you ended up in the psych ward, and all these things that you get fed, getting uh, raised in a very sheltered environment. And I said, "Get me on anything, anything to stop this pain, anything." And the moment I had that, it was such a relief of like, "Oh wow, you mean I can feel again?"
0: Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was surprised. I mean, we went with Wellbutrin, um just because at the time I was trying to, I was still trying to get pregnant and Wellbutin is class B for pregnancy. So right. I could stay on, conceivably stay on it and be pregnant. So that was, we just went with that because for that reason. Right. And I was lucky because it was pretty much the first one that it also worked. Um, I have friends who, you know, had to go through lots of changes and variations and different prescriptions and stuff. And that's really hard. But I will also say, cause they tell you, oh, it'll take you like six to eight weeks to come on to it. You know, there are three to eight weeks to come on to it. It took me more like 12. Really? So it was three months of oh, like, is working. is this working? Because I'm doing it. I'm right. doing it. Thank you. Right. I'm doing it. Is this working? And finally, and what I noticed, the real effect for me of the, the medication is that I would say, it's like it puts a basement on the house. You know, it's not like things, it's not like I don't get sad or get in a bad mood or, right. or even have little depressive troughs. I do, but it doesn't go, it's not the express elevator all the way down to hell you know
1: right. that's such a good an- analogy of it because that's really what it is it, we're not we're never scot-free
0: no I had a therapist say this to me once and at the time I thought this was really not helpful but in the years I've grown to appreciate it she said well you know when you live with depression she goes you live in a house built on a cliff mm. you know she's oh. you're always you're always in danger it's always possible to fall. it and I was at the time I was like thanks a lot right <laughs> Right. But now over the years I'm like, you know what? She's right. And I do have to sort of stay vigilant. I can't take it for granted. And I do have to walk. I have to work out. I have to watch what I eat. I have to stay connected. Be
1: around the people. Right. Be around the people that are good for you and stay far away from the people that are bad for you. Amen. (laughs) And it takes us up and I find that a lot of times people that suffer with depression and anxiety are so nice and so kind, and let people step all over them. And sure. then they realize, okay, boundaries, okay, these are not healthy people. We need, very nice, you're human, but you're not around my turf because you're just not good for me. And yeah. my and my needs come first right now. And we, we struggle every day when we're deep in the dark to, to just get through the day. So we can't have anything else that's negative. What I did want to ask you about relationships how did you find depression and anxiety affecting close relationships brothers sisters mothers husbands cousins best friends did you lose best friends
0: um yeah i mean it certainly was a factor in my in my first marriage we we both we were both channeling all our energy into workaholism we both worked all the time but i was really sad and i I think I attributed a lot of that sadness to the marriage and to him when in fact it was untreated depression. Luckily, we're still friends. We're still close. That's nice. Yes. I I love all my husbands. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think I've pioneered the field of of loving amicable divorce. I mean, while I still believe that it was the right thing for that marriage to end, um, I don't think either of us could have grown into the person that we needed to be and stay married to each other. That's your next
1: book, by the way, Samantha.
0: Loving Amicable Divorce. Yes.
1: Yes, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I had no, to. no. No, it's okay. It's so important.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it requires a lot of compassion from the people who love you, and I know it's hard for them. It's hard. It's hard to watch someone you love suffer, particularly when. You, I mean, I would just tie myself into knots. I would just make myself so unhappy with my own thinking, uh, and the problem with depression, I think, is that one of the problems with depression is that it tricks you into believing. That it will never go away, and this is why I think it's often a fatal disease. It's not that people can't stand the pain; we can withstand all kinds of pain. Everybody does. We all have pain in our lives, mm-hmm. We're not even afraid of pain particularly. It's that you think the pain will never end, and that's what makes it feel like, well, why would I stay? You know. And in some ways, I would sort of like to destigmatize suicide too. Like I, I'm not, I'm not pro or anything, mm. but I get it. Oh and, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. Every thinking person I know has had a moment of like looking for the exit, you know, just like, really? (laughs) Yeah. Do I have to stay here? I have a lot of compassion. You know, people, I really noticed on my Facebook feed when Anthony Bourdain died, there were sort of two trends of comments. There were all the people who were like, how could he? I can't believe it. He had everything. How could he do such a thing? And then there was me and my friends going. Oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I think it's sad, but I totally get it.
1: I find that when we don't have the support. So I was asking you about your family. Did they support you through this process or were they like, okay, Samantha, it's time to grow up, like take action. Okay. Get, get your help that you needed enough hearing about it. Or were they like, oh, sympathy, empathy, we're here for you.
0: Some of some of both. I mean, my family in general is, is very supportive, um, and we tend. My parents especially tend to not be like so all up in my business. You know, they they tend to be their their stance from when I was about starting when I was about fifteen was like, look, if we haven't taught you by now, we haven't taught you. So don't <laughs> live your life. <laughs> um, they've been pretty hands off, you know. Like, well, look I, how productive you are. Right. Exactly. Um, my sister and I are very close and she's really been a rock through all of it. And, and she's actually a social worker. So, so that she, was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it was annoying because she would sort of put on her therapist voice yes. with me and I'm like, but she's, uh, but she's great. And I think in some ways my living with my depression and my being so open about it actually helped my father, acknowledge his own depression and anxiety.
1: Really? Or come to yeah, terms that he has, even been, has
0: it. Yeah. It's been pretty crippling actually his whole life. And he also did a good job of sort of covering it up and oh. um, pretending like it wasn't there. But as he's gotten older, that's been less and less possible. And and now he's really quite frank about it. He's really, you know, sort of open about like, well, I will, you know, yes, I would love to see the kids and the grandchildren for three hours. And then I'm going to have to go because mm-hmm. that's all I can do. Boundaries because that's all you can do.
1: Right. What would you tell people that are struggling in a relationship? The significant other doesn't get it, but they still love each other, but they just don't get it. And they're yeah. really in this um, fake misery just because they don't want to hear, oh, snap out of it. Oh, uh, where are you? Come back to us. You know, like, where's that smile? You're always gloomy. What would you tell them?
0: Yeah. So first of all, for the person living with depression and anxiety, I think it's really important for us to remember that not everyone is like this. Not everyone has this. And it seems sort of incomprehensible. Like, really? There are people who just have woken up every morning of their lives and not felt like this? That just seems amazing to me, but it's true. Much like anything else that's a singular experience, if you've never had it, you have no idea what it's like. You can't even really begin to imagine what it's like. You have to have compassion for those people. They're trying as hard as they can. They love you and they want to help you. They just have no idea what you're dealing with and they can't know. And in some ways, thank God they can't know. Like, God bless you. Live in your beautiful world, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. In some ways, it's sort of nice to know that that's out there for people. The other thing I might suggest, I call make some five-minute art about it. I love that. Make some five-minute art about how you're feeling. Now, What I mean is grab a piece of typing paper and a pencil and make stick figures if you want. Just like make a shape, make a color, make a, you know, just get the feeling you're having out out on paper. I remember talking to a woman one time who had had a really terrible day at work and she was just feeling miserable. And she remembered my thing about, oh, make some five minute art about it. So she drew and she's like me. She's not a drawer. You know, she just drew, you know, shapes. But she drew herself in the middle of the circle, and then everybody else from work standing around her in a circle, throwing rocks at her. Oh my God. And I thought that was so beautiful. I mean, what an incredible expression, you know, and to be able to take that to your partner and say, sweetheart, this, this... Is, what it, this is how I'm feeling. Wow. I had another woman I was working with on her finances, on her budget, actually. We were just getting nowhere. I mean, she just was so tied up into knots. And finally, I was like, okay. Stop. (laughs) Stop (laughs) trying to freeze. Time out. Make some five minute art about how you're feeling. And so she grabbed a a paper and and a pen and she drew this giant black bird that like took up the entire page. And I was like, wow, what's that? She goes, I don't think I realized how angry I was about all this. And I'm like, okay, now we're getting somewhere, right? Right. Let's go, let's deal with that anger first. Let's get that out. Like go Mm. beat the bed with a wiffle bat. Go Mm. into your pillow. Go do whatever you got to do to like go, you know, go for a run, like discharge some of that energy because feelings just want to be felt. Feelings just want to be felt. And once a feeling knows it's been felt, it can get promoted and get a better job. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Right? As opposed to trying to keep the feeling locked in the basement, which as we all know is a terrible strategy. Right. So, yeah. So that's what I would say. And it works great with kids too. Just Mm -hmm. make some art about how you're feeling. Draw a picture, make up a song about it, do a dance about it, get out the Sculpey clay, like however you like to express, but it really helps. And of course, that's what art is for, right? Art explains our feelings to us. Mm -hmm. and. You never have to show it to anyone if you don't want to. It will help you just to get a different perspective on your feelings. But if you can show it to other people, not only will it help other people understand where you're at and what you're going through, but it helps me, right? The art that you make about your loneliness or your despair or your solitude helps me with my loneliness and my despair and my solitude. Mm, The
1: partner, the loved one. Yeah. It doesn't
0: have to be good. Get over the idea that art has to be good art does not have to be good right. and you don't have to be talented to do it
1: right Wow, Samantha, I feel like I could talk to you for seventeen years <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want to ask you
1: about the pet the pets were you always into cats or were you did you also like dogs at a certain point because I know they're very therapeutic
0: they are i love i've always loved cats I've always had cats i've I also love dogs i'm actually mm-hmm. I'm kind of an when I was little, I always thought that I could talk to animals. And then I realized that I grew up to be an adult who also thinks she can talk to animals
1: <laughs> I, I and I believe you could. by the way, yeah,
0: thank you. so I love dogs. I've just never lived in a place where I was allowed to have dogs. I oh. lived in rental apartments in the city, and a lot of them don't allow you to have dogs. So I don't have a dog, but i I hope to sometimes right. Soon.
1: And the, did you get the cat as like a, a therapy cat, or is it something? Did you ever think about it like that, or just you you gravitated to it and that's what it was?
0: I definitely. I, it wasn't a deliberate choice of like, oh, I'll get a cat and then I'll feel better. Um, but I've always loved living with animals. I'm I'm so flattered by animals. Like I can't believe that they stick around and let me pat them. And like <laughs> I'm just so I'm so flattered. I'm so pleased. And and for cats and dogs, there's there's this huge amount of research about the therapeutic effects of of being with animals and having, you know, just something warm and purring and mm. and the, the action of patting, um, especially slow patting, is right. very soothing. And certainly, and this was definitely true when I was a child and, and had a cat, that I think for any young person to have someone that you you know, an, an animal that you can whisper in the ear of, you know, that mm. you can follow your secrets to, I think it's a really helpful thing for a child and particularly in a kind of an oversensitive kid to, to have a safe, safe, someone who outlet and, Right. An outlet. And you know, the thing with animals is they just, they don't care.
1: They're so loyal.
0: They don't care how you're feeling. They don't care how much money you make. They don't care <laughs> what somebody said to you on the L platform. They don't, they just accept you and, and want to be with you. And wow. that's,
1: Christmas. What a lesson. What a lesson for humans, right? Yeah. What a shame
0: that humans can't be like that. Well, we are until we start talking, right? Because here's what you notice is, is, you know, we get nervous when people are staring at us. Mm-hmm. But we never get nervous when a baby is staring at us. We like it. We like it. We go, hello, hello, <laughs> right? <laughs> hello, baby, hi. right? And the same thing with animals. When animals make eye contact with us, we're like, oh, hi. Right, right. Because we know we 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 know that there's no judgment happening. Mm. Um, we know that we're just being seen, and we love being seen and accepted. And I think it's a fine thing to to try and walk around the world saying, "Wow, well, what if I just see and accept people?" This is another little trick, actually, that I devised because sometimes my self judgment would turn into judgment about other people. Mm. As hard as I was on myself, I would be equally hard on other people. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I started doing is as I moved through the world as I saw people, I would just think, there I am. There I am. So I see a bunch of teenagers being loud. And I think, there I am. Mm. That's me. You know, I see somebody who's morbidly obese. And I think, there I am. That's me. Wow. You know, I see somebody yelling at their kids. And I think that's me. There I am. And just recognizing that the whole world is a mirror. And that every, no human behavior is foreign to me. You know, we all have things that we think we would never do. And then sure enough, you're doing them. Right, right. You know, so to to soften that judgment a little bit and to soften that hard eyes and to have soft eyes Mm. and say, I see you, I get it, you know.
1: That's so true, which is a life work to actually pause before judgment. It's so hard for me. I don't know. For me, it's very hard. I'm very judgmental, very hard and i i try so hard to soften up and say wait a second wait a second we don't know half of what's going on really
0: well that's it and it's not to say that you shouldn't have standards or that you know all behavior is okay or that we don't have rules for a reason i'm not saying any of that i'm just saying yeah but softening that that inner critic that that voice that is so hard and it's a little like you know when you first fall in love Mm. And like everything's beautiful, it's perfect. You know? <laughs> the perfect, and somebody's grumpy, and you're like, "Oh, look, you're <laughs> grumpy. That's so great that you're grumpy." I'm gonna go blue bird of happiness over to here because everything's great because I'm in love. Like it's kind of like cultivating a version of that, you know?
1: Right. The world right.
0: is still just as crappy as it ever right, was. Right. You can make a difference.
1: You're just making it softer. Right. By
0: making it softer, by right. being a little more present with people. Right by by showing up with a little more love and a little less harshness. Right.
1: Right. And I think maybe I'm um, I'm generalizing, but I feel like uh people that are suffering through something big, they learned the struggles of life and they're like, okay, fine. I I have this baggage, who knows what they have. I had my plenty of not showing up properly and my mess up and I'm no one to give judgment on others. So we tend to be a little bit more understanding, we hope.
0: I hope so. I mean, yeah. I, I cert- and I certainly remember plenty of days where I was so oversensitive and so overwrought. The flight attendant looks at you sideways and it's all over. You know, I'm a sobbing, crying mess right. and right. my life right. is meaningless and hopeless. And- right. <laughs> You know, know, I can't get out of the grocery store because there's no lamb chops and I don't know what to do. But those are the struggles, right? Those are the struggles. Yeah, we do. We make, Mount. you know, so to say, okay, I'm going to try and be just a little more pleasant and see if I can get a pleasant, more pleasant result from the world. Yeah.
1: I want to ask you about your show, if you could tell me a little bit more about it, because it's happy stuff. So I want to end with some happy stuff.
0: It is. Yes, I wrote I wrote a musical. I wrote the, the script part. So I didn't write the music part. I wrote the script part, which is known as the book. I don't know why it is. That's just a thing in musical theater. It's called the book. It's adorable. It's a little two-person musical. It's a love story. Mm. Uh, it's the sweetest, most romantic show ever. And it's set in Hollywood, 1949 to 1952. Mm. And it's called In a Booth at Chasen's: The Real Life Hollywood Love Story of Ron and Nancy Reagan.
1: No way.
0: Totally way. And
1: you no know, I was
0: way. concerned that they were gonna take away my free to be you and me card, but no <laughs> It's wow. not a political show at all. It really is just a love story. Is but it it's, based on true facts? It is based on true facts. <gasps> Everything in the show is real. And and even it's funny, Michael Reagan came to the show, which made me So nervous. (laughs) I mean, you can imagine, like, we've written a musical about your family. Come see. I would be honored. I would be so honored. I was so honored. I was so nervous. And he could not have been more gracious about (gasps) it. He really loved the show. (gasps) He had lovely things to say about it. And there were a couple of things that I had put in the show that I didn't make them up, but I sort of extrapolated. You know, I sort of, you know, I sort of read between the lines and I thought, I think this is what's going on here. And so, and it turns out I was right. <laughs> so that was reassuring. <laughs> really? What? But it's, That's beautiful. Yeah, it's lovely. So we had a good run in Los Angeles. We had a short run in LA. And now, you know, they're trying to put together a, a tour. So keep an eye out in your hometown. Wow. Um, That's very exciting. To Dallas. Yeah, very exciting. And how it long really did is. you work on it? You know, we wrote it. So this is Hollywood, right? We wrote it nine years ago. <gasps> And it was nine years in development of like, oh, we've got a producer. Oh, no, we don't. Oh, there's the money. No, there's not. Oh, we've got a theater. No, we don't. Oh, it's going to be this. No, that's not happening. And this is LA all over the place. I've had this happen with a thousand projects where you just go, okay, well, we'll see.
1: Wait, and what happens? You put it on the shelf and you wait for someone to call you
0: or you keep on marketing it? How does it work? Well, some combination of both those things, you know. And then when it comes to life, you're like, oh my God, it happened. I couldn't believe it. They called them and said, "Hey, can you come to a meeting in Beverly Hills?" I said, "Sure." I show up at the meeting. They're like, "Hi, here's a check. We open in November." No,
1: I, like,
0: I love this meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't all my meetings like this? This is a great meeting. <laughs> this
1: is something what you taught us in
0: our in our course,
1: by the way, what you would t- teach us, like come with an open heart and just say what you want, and you'll get it. Yeah, like really, come with the open heart. Believe in what you want. And there's someone out there that will want it. Yeah. You preached yeah. it so much, right?
0: It's so, true. It's, it's true. true. And it, it's, it was an amazing experience. And, and, you know, we were able to hire the best possible people. You know, the set designer was the set designer from American Idol. And wow. Some, wants to be a millionaire. And the, the director was a big Broadway director. I mean, it was really exciting. And what I loved about the show is it's, you know, I've got a lot of creative friends, a lot of friends in, in the show business the show business, I was fully expecting them to come to the show and be like, oh, Sam, really great, really great. You know what you might want to do next time? <laughs> you know, people always have a lot of helpful advice. But actually, this show is so tender mm. and so much just about decent people behaving decently. Which was nice,
1: refreshing. And like, it was
0: really refreshing. People yeah. felt really touched and it it reminded them just a little bit about you know, what's... Simple great. love is, simple what, love. Uh, yeah. What's great about love, what's yeah. great about America, yeah. what's great about about our history right. you know, and our shared history. You know, it's not, like I said, it's not a political show right. at all. It's, right. it's right. It, right. public, it doesn't matter. It was really, it was lovely to give people that gift and, and have people just walk out of the theater just smiling and hugging each other. And just, it was, it's a really, it's sweet.
1: <laughs> That's so special. That's really special. It's funny because I want to end... Almost, I'm going to hope to end every show with this question. What does hope look like to you? And I think that this story is exactly what hope is, but I'm yeah. going to let you answer what hope means to you.
0: Yeah. Hope. Well, let me contrast it this way. I sometimes describe depression as a hundred percent cloud cover, right? When it's just a hundred percent gray and there's no end to the grayness. That's what depression often feels like to me and hope to me is remembering that the sun is still shining above the clouds that just because you can't see it doesn't mean i love that oh say that again just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there Mm. and what feels like a permanent condition you know it feels like those clouds are never going to go away but they're clouds it is their nature to go away one of my best friends says all the time she says it has come to pass Everything has come to pass. Nothing stays. Mm. Nothing is permanent. Mm. And like I said, depression likes to trick you and make you think that it's permanent and that it's never going to change. But that is not true. It has Mm -hmm. come to pass. And the sun is still up there.
1: Right. And I, I love to say the sun always shines after a dark night.
0: That's right. Every morning.
1: It, every morning. So, there, so sometimes the nights are longer. In Alaska, it could be six months night, six months day. That's you right. Know? So sometimes the nights are longer, but sometimes the, the morning comes fast. And hopefully the mornings are bright and shiny. But yeah. I do believe that it makes us a stronger human being and a, a better human being once we know how to deal with it. And you have to decide that you're going to make meaning out of it. Correct. Correct, correct, correct. And Samantha, you were my first step. I want to just um, tell everybody the first conversation I had with you before I end. I remember calling you when I um, was moving to Florida. It was mm-hmm. two, two or three years after my depression, and we decided that as much as I was on medication, that cloud didn't lift. I was living, I was functioning, but the cloud was still there. And I said, you know what? Maybe I need sunny Florida. I'm going to make the move. So we picked up and we moved to Florida with four kids, thinking that it's going to be the beginning of sunshine in my world. I went for a um, pilot trip to scout out a house and I was in a tile store when we made a meeting to call you. <laughs> said, Samantha, listen, I really want to start your course, but we're just moving now and I have this dream of paying it forward and starting my company and I, wa- I know I want to take your course, but maybe it's not the right time. And you said to me, now is the best time for anything. There is no better than the now. And I said, are you sure? I said, well, what if I get overwhelmed? So you said, don't worry, don't worry. We'd get it done slowly. Start now and you, it's, there's no better time than the now. I remember I was sitting on the tiles. My <laughs> husband's like, Martin, can you get off the phone? I'm like, no, this is very important. I said, okay, <laughs> here's my credit card. And, I, and, and I, remember, I remember afterwards you said to me, like, it was so fast. You just said, okay. I said, but I just needed someone to say, it will be okay. And that was your voice. It will be okay. And now is the time and take charge and move forward and do whatever your heart tells you. Don't be afraid because the fear is what makes us get stuck. So thank you, Samantha. Thank you because this podcast wouldn't come about if I didn't start a long time ago. So thank you for starting my journey back into the entrepreneur world, starting my company and finding myself and becoming who I am. And now I started this podcast. So thank you so much for being so much a part of
0: my journey. Oh, I'm so proud to have played even a tiny part and nobody could have gotten in your way, your determination. And your hard work and your beautiful spirit just shines over everybody. So I'm not surprised at all, but I'm so thrilled for you. I'm really, I can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you. Can you just tell people where to find you? The amazing Samantha. We have a brand new website. It's called therealsambennett.com. So you can go to therealsambennett.com and um, there's all kinds of free stuff. And you can also get a hold of any of the books, get it done, or start right where you are on Audible or Kindle or hard copy, whatever you like.
1: And Seth Godin is a big believer in Samantha, so that's yeah, not a small yeah. thing at all. <laughs> so, He's a
0: fan, it's true. Yeah,
1: yeah, and Get It Done was really an easy, simple book to get through projects. So when you're in a cloud, Get It Done really works Like strategies, how to simplify any project.
0: Yeah. And start right where you are. The whole title of start right where you are is start right where you are, how little changes can make a big difference for overwhelmed procrastinators, frustrated overachievers and recovering perfectionists. And all the chapters are super duper short and there's a little action step for each one that you can do right in that moment. So I think especially if, oh, if you're having a hard time with depression that you can, you know, it's the kind of thing you can pick up and just read a page or two and just get a little jolt of inspiration and then go on with your day
1: and feel good about accomplishing something which is so big with battling depression and anxiety samantha thank you thank you thank you and it's so lovely to see you and you look fabulous and we'll see you in the next journey and by the way she's very good with infusion soft and infusion soft loves her (laughs) (laughs) little another little thing about samantha (laughs) anyway thank you so
0: much samantha you bet thank you thank you everybody